You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Robert Agostino with Stu Facts Matter. And, of course, uh, we know if we've been listening to the news lately, and especially about COVID and what have you, that facts really don't matter. But in any case, I, today I have a special guest who's going to talk about truth and evolutionary theory. And that is, that is Dr. Don Moeller. And, Don, give us a little bit about uh, your background and what makes you uh, someone who needs to be listened to. Well, I'm an old guy, and, that, and that's fact number one, so you've got to listen to your elders. But at any rate, I did my undergraduate in uh, biological sciences, then got a master's in biological science in graduate school. Then I went to uh, dental school, and then I went to medical school and did some internships and a residency in maxillofacial surgery. I'm currently engaged in neuroscience research on sleep disorders and PTSD, and my most recent publication was with a professor at Harvard University, and it was published uh, in an international dental journal about six months ago. So, so you have the kind of credentials that if you disagree with the current uh, ideology, would get you censored on Facebook, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, for sure. <laughs> right. So let's let's go to the first basic question. We're going to talk about the truth in evolutionary theory, uh, insofar as there is a truth about it. And uh, first question is, you know, what is science? We've been hearing about follow the science, follow the science. Dr. Fauci every other day tells us to follow the science, and of course the science keeps changing as far as he's concerned, but he's the expert. If he says it, half the country you know, bows down and follows the science. So so what is science? Just what, just what well, exactly is science? is verification of reality. And I don't want to drag this uh, discussion into minutia land, but the fact remains that the hard sciences, the closer you are to the hard sciences, that's physics uh, and chemistry, and then move it a little bit more to biochemistry and molecular biology, and then a little more to the right, and you get cell biology. Well, then you hit ecology, which is semi-quantitative, and genetics, which is probably closer to biochemistry and quantitative, depending on the animals that you're working with, your research models. And then you get off into the soft sciences, which are sociology and psychology, and they they rely on statistics. And then you get into the non-science, which is political science. So political science is basically an abuse of the word science, meaning knowledge of. But they are not scientists and they're kind of like modified sociologists or psychologists, uh, or um, they're, they're a click away from historians. And what's the difference between history and political science? So the word science is not the same in all usages, because if you doubt a, a fact in physics, you can walk down to your lab and duplicate it. If you doubt biochemistry, you can almost duplicate it that same day. Cell biology and molecular biology, you, you're going to have interferences with the living material and difficulty studying the precise mechanisms. And then, of course, in psychology, which, you know, it's beneficial, but it's you have to do a large study. The more people you see, the more valid your, your study will be. But you can't demonstrate things in political science because it's open to more discussion, in fact. 
Well, I'm, I'm not sure you can <clears throat> demonstrate a lot of things in psychology or sociology, considering uh, the percentage of studies that are published that cannot be duplicated. And that's well, well over half of the studies that are published cannot uh, right. be duplicated. Right. And, so, and, and, so, so duplication is important in science. The ability to duplicate is important. Yes, yes. And the ability to organize your outcome measures in psychology, you're going to notice the difference in, let's say, anxiety or depression. In physics, you're doing exact calculations, you know, laser wavelengths, etc. So what Fauci said is really not the entire truth, because he is mixing, especially to the, the guy on the street, do not mix physics, biochemistry, and virology with the truth expressed by the weaker and softer sciences. They're not the same. And evolutionary theory, and we're going to get into that, uh, that is a soft science because it does not deal with direct experimentation to support what their contentions are. Yes, they use genetics. Yes, they can use population ecology. That's beyond uh, a doubt. But with respect to origin of life experimentation, it, it's a complete fail. In fact, and I wanted to mention, the elephant in the room, and, and, and I want your listeners to keep this in mind, there have been no ever duplications of the original environment which origin of life has been assumed to occur. And by that I mean... When they get a reaction to a certain place and get a chemical they recognize, they're called reagents or structural, like a protein. They dump all the side products out, or clutter, as one scientist called it, and they start afresh with new reagents. That's the chemicals. Do another reaction, very carefully, very supervised, in a laboratory. Then when they get that result, they dump those uh, solutions out. Why? Because scientists already know, biochemists and molecular biologists know, that the, that the products, the byproducts that are created in one of their reactions will foul up all subsequent reactions. So I will say with a certain authority, nowhere in the world has any scientist done what they claim they're investigating. That is dump chemicals or reagents in a warm little pond and let them go and shake and stir and then find that they have a well-folded enzyme protein. They've never done that anywhere, and they're not going to be doing that anywhere. Well, I think I agree. I was actually uh, uh, Dr. Diemer, uh, Professor Diemer, uh, I was on a panel with him a number of years ago, and of course he's one of the leading uh, people who was trying to figure out how life began, and he came up with the theory of life began in bubbles, you know, you have to confine it. Anyway, he has never succeeded in well, 30 years. Maybe it was 30 years ago they were on a panel together, and he's never succeeded in his experiment. Uh, I really I don't know if he's still alive. He is. I need to call him and say, well, any luck? Because we really uh, had an interesting uh, conversation before about 300 biology students out in California. He's a professor at the uh, University of California. Anyway, uh, let's get back to this thing. And before we do, I want you to <clears throat> distinguish for our audience the the issues involving not only origin of life, which of course no one can figure that out at this point, and macroevolution and microevolution. Because when you I get into a discussion 
I'm always getting these, well, the, the beaks and, and, you know, Darwin's finches and these kinds of things. And you have to always explain the difference between macro and microevolution. Because I think microevolution, you can say, well, sure, you know, if the nuts are one size and the other size, the more birds with the right size beak are going to survive. So, so what is the difference between micro and uh, macro evolution? Okay, I, will, I taught basic biology in college. And so what is a micro home run in baseball? You get a foul tip off a bat, and you're still standing there, and you're not a millimeter closer to first base. How many micro home runs can you get? Well, there is no such thing. So micro in evolution or macro in evolution is a tactic, and that's what I'm going to talk about to some extent. It's a, it's a prearranged semantic tactic. So... Now we have enough information because molecular biology in the last 30 years is just like orders of magnitude different than it was 20, 30 years ago. Let's get back to the main point. There's things called uh, epiphenotypes or phenotypes or uh, the phenomena that floats with intergene reactions. And so what's going on is the beaks in Darwin, they have a, a BMG bone morphogenic protein BMP4 uh, modifies bill width and length. That pre-existed, and the phenotypic variation can be varied by the diet. That is not, that's not microevolution. You see, they take the word evolution as macro and micro. It's not evolution. It's expression of a phenotypic uh, phenomena in an animal that pre-existed. So you're right off the bat, don't use the word evolution. Or if evolution, what they do is say evolution means change. No, change means change. Uh, phenotypic yeah. variation. Use the scientific word, phenotypic variation in pre-existing gene expression. As a matter of fact, cichlids in Lake Victoria have pharyngeal teeth. And depending on their diet, they can express teeth that are over the jaw bones or teeth in the pharynx if they have to eat mollusks. That does not happen instantaneously. It takes a few generations, but it definitely does not evolve. And that work was done by, you know, secular scientists. So there's no microevolution in cichlids in, 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 in the African lake, Lake Victoria. Yes, and that's, that's an interesting uh, point that students are always kind of uh, intrigued by. And I also uh, give them the, uh, the example of the... Uh, uh, map turtles along the coast of the uh, United States. Every river has a slightly different map turtle uh, that matches the, essentially matches the, the color of the water. And I talk about yeah. that. I said, you know, what is that? It's the same thing you just were talking about. That these, these turtles, if they got together, which they don't because they don't travel on land, uh, would, would, would interbreed easily. And they're just showing these phenotypic differences in order to blend in with the water. And uh, so, right. and, and that's a question of, you know, so there we have an example of survival of the fittest. The dark, the dark map turtles uh, in one river survive because the water is tannic acid and the, and they're lighter colored in another river because the water is uh, full of uh, sand and uh, they blend in with sand. So, uh, yeah, I try to make that distinction constantly and I'm glad you've made it for the uh, uh, people here. Yeah. Uh, See, here's the problem with evolution. 
that whole idea. I tell, I, I make analogies so people get what I'm saying. It's called continuous functionality. Now, if I told you to convert a, a reciprocal engine, the kind that your your car has, a gas motor, into a turbine while the engine was running, that is called continuous function intermediates. There are none of those in the fossil record. In fact, what we know about developmental biology now, which is called EvoDevo, evolution and developmental biology, the Hox genes, which control everything that occurs, we'll say downstream and segmental orientation. Evolution, as described by Darwin and the, the old Darwinists, cannot possibly function because the trivial changes that mutations make are in downstream uh, phenotypic things, like how long your fingers are, how long the legs are, etc. The trick, the tactic, is to convince you, oh, you can change the entire body structures. Why is it that the paleontologist cannot find an organism with an intermediate between a fish and a tetrapod? Because that requires an entirely different suite of fully developed pectoral girdle muscles and neural innervation to allow that, amul- that animal to ambulate, which is necessary for survival. And, and one other comment, you can go to the Drosophila melanogaster, which is a fruit fly. Sure, you can change wing length, abdomen, thorax length, legs. Go to the Interactive Fly website. It's on, it's for uh, geeks like us. Go to the Interactive Fly and see how many mutations affect a Drosophila's labrum, mandible, and maxillae. And you will find precious few, and they're all fatal. So when you can't grind groceries, uh, those things are called constrained. Well, the same thing occurs in the animals that you see walking around. There are numerous subsystems that are constrained, and they can't be modified, but the evolutionary community does not bring those up. Yes, uh, and you did mention the Hox gene. Of course, in, in, the, in some of the literature, they say, well, this is evidence of Darwinian evolution because the Hox genes are so similar in all sorts of creatures from flies to humans. Yeah, and that's why I brought that up. That was purpose, right? Why? Because that does not stop answering the question of continuous functionality. Those are on-off switches for predetermined phenotypic systems that will present with anatomic variations. And so basically that's a tactic to dodge the question. Now, I don't need to remind you, Professor, that in a courtroom, there no one holds the high ground. And we'll discuss later the uh, decision by Kitzmiller versus Dover and Judge Jones, the federal judge, about intelligent design, if you'd like. But that was essentially, uh, Judge Jones had no idea and did not refer to the case of Daubert versus Merrill Dow Pharmaceutical, which was vacated. And you know what that means. So science was disproved in in, uh, Dover, I mean, vacated. Why? Because they redefine science. The plaintiffs redefine science, and I'm going to stop after this comment, as a double negative. 
and it had to do with uh, Vindictin. And the, the plaintiff said, can you absolutely assure us that this compound could not have done this? Well, that's not how science works. Science determines what can be done. So that decision was vacated because that pushed the limit of Rule 702 and 403, of which you're familiar in expert testimony in the federal court system. Oh, oh yes. And, but, of course, then you turn around, despite that, you turn around and you get these uh, uh, core uh, uh Proposals to, for, for for elementary school, which go right back to essentially uh, orthodoxy, neo Darwinian orthodoxy, yeah, and, and that's what the students are 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 dealt with. That's what the students have to deal with constantly. And if if you go to a, a classroom of let's say a, a law school classroom, and you happen to get off on a tangent like I sometimes do, and you get the uh, uh, the students respond in terms of Darwinian evolution. Everything is a matter of survival of the fittest. Gradualism, yeah. which of course nobody yeah. can, nobody can can so far uh, uh, prove gradualism. No one. Well, one just thing, what I've debated and discussed. First of all, the first thing is like a kid with his hand in the cookie jar. Who took the cookies? I didn't. Well, when you were discussing, I won't use the word debating, debating with an evolutionist or discussing with, don't get off the need to get to first base. You cannot show me a, any experiment, an origin of life that has moved the st- science anywhere. RNA world, DNA, you know, coacervates. That was Stanley Fox's little thing. In fact, the truth is, Cell biology is presenting now more complex problems than they have answers for. Now, I would recommend that you not let them get a micro home run, because unless they answer the question, and there are two questions. One, how did those chemicals, which came first, the protein or the enzyme? Well, enzymes are required to make proteins, but enzymes are orders of magnitude more complex than a protein. Now, before the conversation continues, Your Honor, the defense must answer the question. Name an experiment where you mix the chemicals and you stood back, and for years you just kept circulating that the reagents, and you came back and there were proteins. That's never been done. Yet that's what they claim is proof for evolution. The probability of that is non-existent. The next fact that your listeners need to make sure is the complexity of a folded protein with 150 minimum amino acids, and that's just a small protein, they have binding sites along there that have to be carefully, carefully approximated to an exact form or they don't work. The thing about it is Douglas Axe, who is a molecular biologist and biochemist, proved there are numerous non-functional intermediate enzymes. By changing one or two by mutation, one or two mutations at a certain site produced non-functional intermediates. The whole idea of gradual enzyme formation and succession with more advancements does not exist. And don't get off the topic, if you can't get to first base, you can't get a home run. 
So microevolution and macroevolution don't even use the words. You're saying animals can change with the result of environmental modifications. That is not evolution. It's not microevolution, and it's not macroevolution. That's right. Uh, but of course, the the uh, and of course we we've got a uh, uh, big debate going on at this particular point on. Uh, uh, on gradualism, uh, you know, Stephen Jay Gould tried to save Darwinism with this uh, punctuated equilibrium idea. Well, yeah, the, the fossil record never shows all these gradual changes. It happened so suddenly that we don't have, uh, uh, you know, it, geologically suddenly, that we don't have uh, the, the fossil evidence yet, but we'll get it sometime. Of course, and you go back and you say, well, okay, well, let's go back, and we have millions of fossils of insects and every one of them has a wing and you say that insects came from an annelid worm where's the annelid worm with the, a rudimentary wing and of course it doesn't exist uh, so yeah what do you yes. respond when people say well you know uh, punctuate equilibrium that's what that's what did it that's yeah we, we throw out gradualism and we go to punctuated equilibrium and we get there what yeah I suggest they read his Opus Magnum, which was the book called Structure of Evolutionary Theory, and I've read it three times. And it has I read 1300 it, yes. pages. It? I read it's an excellent expose. And if you want to disarm an evolutionist, first of all, uh, Stephen Gould was the professor, emeritus professor of paleontology at Harvard. So if your friend or your person you're having a discussion with goes, oh, well, that was one guy. No, no, the one guy you're talking about was the preeminent guy. Number two, if you carefully read the book, he has such incredibly incriminating statements in that book that are absolutely, you know, nullify his own theory. Number one, punctuated equilibrium. Off the bat, if, if he was a witness in a courtroom, I'd say, wait a minute, why did you develop punctuated equilibrium? Well, uh, because there's really a lot of missing evidence. Well, wait a minute. Before you were discussing punctuated equilibrium, you were teaching all the students that it was gradualism. Which is it? Did you have evidence for gradualism, or you never had evidence? Well, the answer is they never had evidence. Now, punctuated equilibrium, if you look at some of the statistical genetics and the Hardy-Weinberg thing, and there was another giant of statistics and genetics who escapes me, but the point Mutu, is... Mutu, Mutu Kimura. Mutu, that's who you're talking about. Mutu Kimura. Who you're talking about. Yeah. Well, no, Mutu Kimura had junk DNA. He he had, he expected uh, long that the junk DNA, well, we'll just jump onto that. Uh, evolution predicted large amounts of junk DNA non-expressed. Well, in reality, what happened now they're finding there is no junk DNA. They're subroutine uh, things. So they, they govern subroutines and phenotypic expression of epigenetic effects. Okay, epigenetics means the junk genes theory is gone. So Mutu Kimura, uh, I forget, it doesn't matter who the, yeah, it was back in the 30s. All the work, we'll take two common animals that they use, the Drosophila, Tens of thousands of generations of flies, no new Drosophila. If you get absence 
of an enzyme system so that the fly lives on a different diet. That is not a new fly. That's not moving the ball down the field. The next thing uh, fell up at the University of Michigan for the last, I believe it's 30 years, but for a long time, it's got thousands of generations of E. coli. And the number of effective mutations, this is in a single bacterium with a genome of approximately 2,000, okay? So it would be readily apparent, no changes, still a Shrekia coli, the same exact. So all these experiments that the evolutionists point to, now remember in the courtroom there's no high ground. So under examination, I would ask the evolutionists, tell us of all the mammals, crustaceans, and all the other orders of animals that you've done research with? And the answer would be precious few to none. And so you have to put them on a witness stand, and you don't allow them to redefine science or redefine evolutionist change. So they can't get to first base with origin of life. They cannot get anywhere because of the now evo-devo knowledge that Hox genes are relatively immutable, and there is no evidence of successional functional animals. That's why you don't find them. In fact, if you look at the Cambrian, and they use the word explosion. Now, they really jumped on those that don't believe in evolution by saying it wasn't an explosion. Well, now, it, you look and it's probably occurred, and this is from the secular literature, from four to six million years in duration. Ha! Huh. That's 1.4% of the fossil record. If that's not an explosion, I don't know what it is. And what happened? 33 different phyla, uh, no, 16 different phyla and 33 classes formed in that period. Many think it's up to 40 phyla. But the point is, massive numbers of different animals are found with almost no precursors. That is a fact. So the Cambrian, quote, explosion is a real phenomenon without any explanation that the evolutionists cannot and will not answer. Well, of course, what they do say is, well, the precursors were all soft-bodied creatures, and they weren't preserved in the record. Well, is that science? I I would love to have an evolutionist, if I committed a murder and... The judge got the evolution got the judge to say we're going to throw out any evidence from the from the defense that we don't like, and everything that the prosecutor says is true. Well, that's that's not how a courtroom works. The lack of evidence. Now, catch this: the lack of evidence is not evidence for a lack. Big difference. And when you apply that principle into origin of life, there is evidence for the impossibility of using the evolutionary theory to describe how early life formed. More importantly, with information sciences now in the rising ascension, and actually they're there, there is no way that the evolutionists have developed a mechanism to impart information onto the genetic code. Not only that, you've got to translate that information to get a byproduct of an animal that has an improved function. There is no selection for large molecules because there's no living organism. Those those are determined entirely by biochemistry. And as I pointed out, they need enzymes. Which came first? The enzyme or the protein? One of them had to come first. Unfortunately, the enzymes are incredibly complex proteins. 
So and that's the chicken or egg break. on a molecular basis. Break. Well, of course, the answer now that you get increasingly as well, the origin of life, we just don't know. However, once it was formed, we can trace it from a single-celled or, or, or a, a, a multi-celled organism or a, or a sponge into, into a current uh, a, animal, and actually animal and plant kingdom, to, to, to be more accurate. Okay, and John, so let's say, uh, we'll, we'll let's forget about break. origin of life. Let's just start with life occurred, single cell, some single-celled uh, organism, and they started to aggregate, and lo and behold, we end up uh, with a human being and an elephant. And let's take a break. Right. And, and what goes on, I'm going to call him, as Kenneth Miller, when he testified before uh, in the trial, he said, intelligent design is not a testable theory. Well, by his own admission... Neither is evolutionary origin of life. So my point is, and that we may consider, because you have to be asymmetric, I think we need to go into the textbooks and say, you can leave other information because you have to start the crack in the wall to break it down. Okay, that let's take a break. Product liability indicates... Hold that thought. Hold that, hold, hold that thought, uh, 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 David. Our producers calling for a break. Uh, go ahead, David. Take the break. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Professor Robert D'Agostino again with Do Facts Matter, and my guest is Dr. Don uh, Moeller, 
uh, and we're talking about the truth and evolutionary theory. And uh, we've got a pretty good uh, <coughs> discussion so far of why all the theories about origin of life uh, just don't work. And we're going to drop that for a minute and, and go back to this question I asked at the end of the last session, and that is, okay, life is now here. DNA has come into, however it's come into existence, it's in existence, in you know, a single-cell creature, and now we go and we develop, uh, a, a life develops from there, and we go through a sponge to a human, uh, we go through algae to uh, flowering plants and what have you. Uh, and, and anyway, we can always point to the horse. Uh, there's a condylarth, and you end up with a modern horse, and you have eohippus and pliohippus and all this in between, and that proves that there is evolution because, one, DNA is similar throughout the, the uh, plant and animal kingdom, and two, you can look at the fossil record of a horse. Take it away, Dr. Moeller. Okay. Let me tell you, that's exactly what we're going to do a reenactment here because you did a perfect example of, of why I'm on, this, on your show. First of all, we're going to go back to your Dover case where you had your judge who, who didn't even bother to quote Daubert versus Dow Pharmaceutical. The Daubert standard, four things, they have to be, number one, the theory is testable. Okay, now... If evolution accounts for everything, everything, well, why do we need to do research on it? That's a fact. It can account for, and you already know these examples, it can account for why the moths on the, some moths on the tree were black and some were white. And then they did that experiment on Bistularia. The point came out that that wasn't even true. But here is that, the tactic that the evolutionists want is to blow all this pseudo-information. Let me tell you how that they think. First of all, punctuate. let's go to punctuated equilibrium because that's your question. First of all, there is no gradualism because they wouldn't have needed a theory for punctuated equilibrium. Do you see the statement? So don't tell me you knew enough about fossils. Fossils show, if anything, intelligent design. They appear suddenly fully formed. If you maintain, you've either got graduated gradualism or you've got punctuated equilibrium you don't get your choice or you say well there's some with this and that well then that's not a theory because it's not testable and that's one of the comments that the, the judge made in the dover trial well it's id's not testable well let's talk about what daubert versus dow chemical says first of all you it, it, there's this the, you've got to have the t theory being testable we'll give them that number two the theory has been peer-reviewed. I'll even give them that. But the one thing that I'm not going to give the evolutionist is the third one, which is the reliability and error rate must be mentioned by the witness or the expert. Why? Because the court is the trier of fact. The purpose of the expert witness is only to present the science and the information that the the court can decide, well, was the reliability and probability of the origin of life ever mentioned in Dover? No, it wasn't. That's one of the reasons they came with the upside-down definition of science. So what did Shaw, the Ph.D., one of the epidemiologists that went in there, what was her case? Her case was not we can prove that Ben Dicton 
Benedictine can cause this. It says you can't prove to us that that couldn't have caused that. And by redefining science, the judge, the Supreme Court, vacated that decision. Why? Because it wasn't science. They, they violated the Rule 403 and 702, the purpose of an expert witness. Now, this is the question I'm going to ask the evolutionists. If you can't get the first base with your theory, that is, origin of life, I am not interested in the rest of your argument. Because, see, that leads to these exact same questions you brought up. What about this? What about... I don't care about that. We're... All I want removed... Now, this is the, the twist that I would like to see people do. Textbooks can be used. They're like manuals. They have uh, product liability. Now, what's the liability? You're harming a case where someone wants to believe that God made the universe. Well... The lemon test, you may not know that, that has nothing to do with a lemon. That has to do with how the Supreme Court looks at any uh, type of uh, uh, theory or statements that are going to go before the public. Number one, the statute, there's three things to pass the lemon. It has nothing to do with the fruit. It was Alton Lemon's case. That it must not, it must have a secular legislative purpose, okay? Well, whether or not you teach that origin of life experiments don't work is secular. That number two, the primary or principal effect uh, of this must be uh, not to uh, adhere or inhibit, uh, advance or inhibit religion. And this would have no effect on that because it's science. And the next one, it would not cause an excessive entanglement with the, with the, with the government. So now we're going to relook at what, how that trial played out. First of all, it was based on not asking the evolutionists, what is the probability of life forming under your mechanisms? But please first describe to us the experiment that you did, not having the senior biochemist cell biologist guide the reaction. The answer is there were no experiments like that. So... You are now trying to convince me life formed by accident, yet all your experiments are highly controlled, especially when you start getting proteins to fold. You get a bucket of ice, and you're working with nucleic acids. If you don't work fast, they're going to disintegrate spontaneously. So the question is, did, did the evolutionary community ever do an experiment showing how random probability or chance or whatever event you want show that life ever could arise. No, all their experiments were done by biochemists, cell biologists, molecular biologists, etc., and they proved the opposite. So, do you see what okay, I'm well, I, I don't... I, yeah, no, no, I, I, I'm with you, but I, I want to go back to the question, and that is, when they concede that they have not figured out how life began, and they say, well, okay. someday we'll figure it out. Well, they, they've conceded it. Now they want to say, let's put that question aside and let's start with the assumption that there is life, that there is a DNA molecule that's, that, that, that operates in, in a single-celled organism, and the answer is, how does that single-celled organism develop into an elephant or a human over time, 500 million years, whatever it is? Uh, and that's the question. They, they want to not discuss origin of life anymore, and, and if you look at the, 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 the textbooks, that's what, what's happened. They, they don't talk, they talk about uh, the, what drives life is, uh, you know, uh, 
Darwinian theory, neo-Darwinian orthodoxy, survival of the fittest, and that sort of stuff. So the question is, where do we go from here? Forget origin of life. They'll concede the point. We don't know how it, it happened. But it happened. And now, because DNA no, is so professor, similar. Professor, professor, yeah. say I committed a murder. And they say, do you have a witness, Dr. Mueller, to where you were that evening? I said, yes. I was captured by aliens. And they can testify to the fact that I wasn't there. Well, what would the court do with that evidence? They'd go, we're not interested anymore. Given the fact my aliens who, who, who got me will testify, <laughs> we can find them, then uh, I can prove and you can just let me go. I won't need to answer the rest of your questions. And this is why I made that silly analogy. The evolutionists say we're just going to pretend that incredibly complex things just happened. Well, do you know what yes. that is? That's intelligent design, guys. And you just called it non-science. So I'm not let see, that's the, my whole key to this, is I'm using Daubert versus Dow Pharmaceutical. The court specifically said, you must state the probability of the positive science to support your case. The evolutionists are the plaintiffs. You can assume that they're the plaintiffs saying, but, but you've got to look at all the other evidence. No, we don't. We just have to look at the fact that you're printing in these textbooks that, that somehow incredibly complex life occurred and haven't proved it. That's why you assume, you know, assuming Dr. Moeller was abducted by aliens, I guess he, he, that we're going to accept that as proof and we're letting him off. That's not going to happen. And I'm telling the evolutionists, we're no longer accepting your silly explanation for, for origin of life because that is 99% of your theory. See, once you give me, oh, assume a supercomputer, then I can do this and this. Assume a super, super small supercomputer, and I can do this. I'm not going to assume any such thing. I'm going to assume that 99% of all evolution is getting that first cell, that first cell to operate. And they're not, there's not a chance in the universe they're going to do that. But the fact remains, that's the question. And you are subjecting, playing the role of the evolutionist. I'm not going there. You can't get to first base. And I'm not going to let no. you steal home. You see? No, no, I, my whole no I think you're, I just, logically speaking, your argument is, is you know, absolutely yeah. wins the day. But that's not what's in the, the, the textbooks. So you're okay, faced with I'll, the I'll textbooks. Those. Okay, yes. Avian, look at, they, they say, which came first? The bird or the dinosaur? Okay, look at the lungs on a bird. They're called flow-through ventilation. Look at the lungs on a reptile and all mammalian animals. It's called tidal respiration. There is no transitional form between them. They all say, well, look at this bone and look at that bone. Well, I have a better question for you geniuses. Why don't you tell me how you can break, don't do this, it's experimental. You can break a bird's bone and they can breathe through their bones. Why? It's a flow-through ventilation system. The question is, how did you get a dinosaur tidal respiration lung, okay, to come from the avian lung? Number two, let's talk about the placenta. The placenta is incredibly complex, and without a concomitant change in immunosuppression in the, in the mother, it would reject it. And not only that, here's the thing. Let's take a look at the umbilical cord. Okay, how did that develop over a small, over small time 
uh, over millions of years. Well, go ahead. I want to listen to your explanation. And you will answer that because I'm asking an evolution. Well, well, I don't know. I said, well, I brought it up. Well, you can't because if evolution uh, had a cord that was too long, the baby can strangle if it was too short. But how is that whole cord going to interface and develop in the womb and be the exact right length and have all the connections for the blood supply and biochemistry in small, in small segments. It's up to the evolutionists to tell us how that happened. It's not up to me to play bone prospector and say, oh, well, why did this bone enlarge? I really don't care. The, the whole theory of Hox genes and EvoDevo evolutionary and developmental biology says the burden, the proof is now on you. That was a sword in the heart of Darwinism that they yes, cannot I, make. You go ahead. No, no, I, I, I'm with you. So, so the answer is to make it simpler for, for students, to make it simpler, you ask the question, how did a condylarth become a horse? Yeah. And, and then they'll go with the pleohippus and eohippus and all those uh, in, intermediaries. Uh, and then you ask the next question. Uh, really, is there any evidence of a gradual transition from a condyloth to pliohippus or eohippus? And actually, they all, if you read Structure of Evolutionary Theory, they all live simultaneously. In fact, I believe Gould said in his 1,300-page book yep. that they all, it's, he cringes every time someone uses the horse series to prove evolution. Right. You know, okay, how about let's use whales? Okay, so they supposedly came from cows, right? Well, let's see. I want to talk about the mysticetes. Those are the whales that have the um, keratin-based bristles in their mouth to catch shrimp, small animals, copepods. Okay, so you have the odontocetes, which are also whales. They have enamel structures. Well, you can't get from enamel to uh, keratin. It's not on the pathway. Not only that, the Hox genes in the upper jaw, uh, MSX1, and the lower jaw, MSX2, in mammal in mammals, they are governed by two sets of genes. Now, no, 220 sets of genes. Now, here's the question. Right. How? What was the intermediate? A whale that brushed its teeth? I mean, honestly, which which came first? How do you how do you change from keratin? to odontocete or odontocete to keratin. Either way, I don't care which came first. How do you do that gradually? Just to make it, wait, just to make it plain, we're talking about whales that strain their food, plankton, yes. and, and yes, out plankton. of the ocean, as opposed to whales that go and actually eat other eat right. fish or, or eat uh, yeah. uh, copepods or yeah. squids or something like that. No, teeth. Yeah. And we're talking about so a whole bunch of whales based... without teeth. Right. Yes, and so you have whales with toothbrushes in their mouth, basically, the, the keratin-based, yes. and you have another group of whales with the enamel. Well, here come, the, we call them the just-so-story squad of the evolutionary community. No, no, don't try it. Where are the intermediates? They never found one. So which is the intermediate? A dental, uh, uh, a hard-toothed whale uh, with half keratin? Oh, really? That's a selective advantage? Well, what if you have keratin on the upper jaw and hard teeth on the lower? You know, they don't understand, and I'm also a dentist and oral surgeon, they don't understand the complexities of the dental facial apparatus. In matter of fact, they're called pleiotropic effects. And what that means, 
you just don't change a bone here and there or change a kidney or this without changing other structures. If you look at the 100 craniofacial defects, they are not limited to craniofacial. They have numerous systemic and other medical complications that the evolutionists don't want to mention. You have to mention those because we know these are true. They do happen in modern science. They, evolutionists also have to tell us how harmful mutations or non-functional mutations get the effects they want. They Not in the evo-devo situation. They make trivial changes down line. So when an evolutionist, as a matter of fact, my favorite question is, tell me how enamel microstructure happened. Because at the bottom of the Eocene, and look it up, you have all 30, 40 groups, classes, whatever you want to call them. They all have different types of enamel. Enamel and teeth are the best preserved specimens in the fossil record. Well, how come they all have different kinds of enamel? Well, how do you form different kinds of enamel? From the ameloblasts. So you have to modify ameloblasts. Well, I already know what happens. So does science. When you modify ameloblasts, you get cracked enamel. So that evolutionists need to explain the spontaneous origin of all the animals at the base of the Eocene, how they got all the different micro... They, I'm talking about electron microscopy. A different, okay, let, uh, let's go, go ahead. Let's go to a, 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 another question here. And that is, yeah. let's go to the, the jumping genes. You know, Barbara McClintock got uh, pilloried for her, her theory about jumping genes way back, and later she won the Nobel Prize. But jumping genes, I said, well, look, we can have these sudden changes because gene, genes jump from one organism to another, and they, already, they jump around in the organism, and they turn on and turn off uh, other genes, and therefore you have, have sudden dramatic changes. Of course, that opens the question as, well, they have to act on something. And if they jump in and they're acting on some other genes, how did the other genes get there and why were they there? So the point is you always get them in that, in that particular quandary. They have to explain, yeah, jumping genes could cause a, a massive what was sudden her animal? change in the what, color. What, what living organism did she use? A horse? A pig? No, a no, no, Bob Mc, no, no, Bob, no, Bob McClintock used corn. Yeah, right. And was it still corn? Yeah, oh, yes, of course. Yeah, it was still corn. Okay, it was still corn. So, yep, yes, great, I don't deny, but it was still corn. I want you to use jumping genes. Oh, here we go. Use a jumping gene and change a lizard uh, or a guano lizard uh, into uh, some type of dinosaur. That'll work. Get, work on that. Call me, collect when you've done it. I don't really care. Not that I'm a Nobel laureate. That's not the issue. The question is, they're begging the question. You take one incredibly complex structure and put it in another complex structure, and it produces another complex structure. The question is, how did you get information pressed onto, just like uh, you read a book, you can, it, the ink, the paper has nothing to do with the message it contains, period. So, DNA laying around does not contain a message. You've got to show me how you have an informational system to impress a message. So all they're saying is, well, if you have, just give us a super complex system that can translate and blah, 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 make proteins, and we'll show you. No, I want you to show me how you got the system in the first place. And that, I'm not getting off argument one. 
You see, that's like in a courtroom. You just don't leave the argument. Like, I just decided I'm innocent because I was abducted by aliens and they testified on my behalf. That's exactly what we're letting the evolutionists get away with. They have never done an experiment using natural means to produce anything. And they, they're, they use words like urged and moved and needed. Read some real scientific literature. And matter of fact, take this name down. Dr. James Tour, T-O-U-R. He's one of the top synthetic chemists in the world, if not one of the top five. He has a YouTube video out, and I will guarantee you, after you look at it, it will leave you speechless. And, and what does he? Uh, what is on that YouTube video, which I'm going to look up? He explains I, the. He, he explains the the utter ridiculousness of the origin of life experimentation and forming of the intermediates using any reasonable scenario. It just doesn't happen. It's you have to just crush. And we, you know, we started this talking about what is science. Science is not just so stories like evolutionists have. It is strict stuff that you can reproduce. Look at some of the organic synthesis journals, and that's what he talked about. The title's got 15 words in it. How to modify one particular organic compound to become another and all the stages you have to go through. Well, just ignore that to believe in evolution. That's why, if you want to believe in intelligent design, you're not up against a huge wall. We're in a courtroom where it's a level playing field. And the evolutionists in Kitzmiller versus Dover should have been resoundly defeated for the silliness that that judge promulgated. And he's thinking, oh, yeah. he way, and you know, he way overextended. The court, the decision was, the purpose of this court was to encourage Christianity. Maybe they won that, sure. But he extended it, making the statement that, ID is not science. The guy is not intellectually capable of making that statement, nor could he understand the implications of what he said. Well, we all know that the the uh, the def- defense of traditional, or I should say, neo-Darwinian orthodoxy is is a defense of a, a religious concept, and it's a and the religious concept to, is anti-Christianity because they're 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 atheists. It, it's more supportive yeah. of an atheist uh, uh, worldview. But going back to this, the next thing they'll say to you, well, he said, but DNA is the same everywhere. It's so similar. That proves that everything is related to everything else and must have arisen from everything else because plant DNA and, and, and DNA from sponges, by the fact the DNA from sponges is, is really closely related to the DNA from uh, animals. So all this stuff is same DNA. That's proof of evolution. What how do you say that? Evolution over. De- how about a designer? It seems to me that a designer. Yeah, I just go okay. Then put them on the witness stand. Say answer the question. Right. If it's evolution or design, intelligent design. How does your theory knock mine out of the? Oh, so an intelligent designer would switch up and use a silicon-based animal instead of carbon-based? Come on, it's nonsensical. So. Basically, the question, just put them on the witness stand and don't let them, don't let them off the hook. Say, answer the question. Does so, con- common yeah, DNA right. support intelligent design or evolution? They go, well, it supports neither. I said, well, then why'd you bring it up? I mean, they go one after another of those kinds of things, which, which you, uh, are, <clears throat> become well, relatively that's easy a tactic. to shake down. That's a tactic. But, and here's what they do. It, 
it, that's exactly. I debated three or four professors at once, and they said, "Well, how do you answer this and this?" And they gave me a little silly laundry list. I had forty questions to answer them. It started with the impression of uh, information on DNA. It had to do with non-starter reactions. It had to do with listen. Just think about mitosis. That's where all the uh, information lines up on the equatorial plane inside the cell. All the cellular uh, organelles dissolve, okay, and they form and divide the cell in half. How does that happen in small segments, in small successive functional segments? Well, I'll tell you why it never happened, and I've talked to some senior cell biologists offline and they say they have no idea. Well, here's why it could have never happened. The energetics in a cell is closely guarded. Energy is critically important. How can a cell develop an incredible thing like histones unwrapping, forming on the equatorial plate, acting, changing, the microtubules? All that has to work the first time for that one cell. How does that happen in, success, in small successive stages? Answer that question. See, I've already given them, okay, you have a first cell. Tell me how mitosis started how, how did it and they don't have any answer i've asked the top people and they have nothing so that's, no, that's the way right. i answer that question no that's right in fact they're going back to stephen jay gould's book actually the book was uh of course stephen jay gould claimed to be a darwinist he claimed to be an atheist and all those good things that he's supposed to say but his book really raised a lot of questions which is why yeah. it was attacked by Daw- dawkins and and his crowd and I okay, always say one thing. Talk about when, when, gentlemen, we got Dawkins. in the- First of all, Richard Dawkins, look him up. He did his Ph.D. in something about social behavior of wasps. I've worked right. with professors okay, that have wait, 300 peer-reviewed publications. Don. Tell me, go ahead on Google Scholar and find publications by Richard the Don, Wonder Man Dawkins. They don't exist. Unfortunately, unfortunately we're out of time. Well, I've just been, producer has just said, we're out of time. It was a really interesting show, and I'd like to continue the discussion uh, after off the air. But <clears throat> that is it. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.